The Gospels are the accounts of the words and works of our Savior Jesus. It's there that we learn of the acts of love that mean for us forgiveness and everlasting life. Join us to study one of these Gospels, the book of Matthew. Read a chapter and then listen in as our pastors from Grace discuss the marvel of God's words to us. We hope that you listen to Jesus' words and that with us you grow. Here's another discussion on a chapter from the book of Matthew. Hey, podcast listeners, we're back for another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast. Pastor Brian Hockman here along with my friend, Pastor Aaron Strong. How are you? Doing well today. Awesome. Really, really glad to hear that. Um, a great day, and we get a chance to be in a great book, the Gospel of Matthew. If you've been following along with us and and reading one chapter a day and then tuning into our podcast, that means it's Friday and you have... Um, gotten through three chapters and we're ready for chapter four. If you're not doing this on the day that these post, that's fine too. Um, take it at your own pace and, and your own leisure, but we're certainly hoping that you'll join us in reading through the Gospel of Matthew and gaining some devotional thought and, and some of the encouragement that God intends to give us through this inspired book. And we're thankful that you take a few moments out of your day to listen to us and as we try to provide some kind of insights into some of these readings too. Maybe you learn a lot, maybe you don't learn so much, but we're glad you're listening. Podcasts are much more beneficial when they are heard by people. That is true. <laughs> so we are, we're speaking right now, hoping and that people will listen and thankful that you are. <laughs> this might be going out into dead air. We really have no way to know until until it hits. But, but we'll have a fun conversation about Chapter 4 regardless. You're right. We're going to grow, so come with us if you want, but awesome. <laughs> Jesus' temptation is the beginning of chapter 4, and if you look in, in the Gospels, there's always this connection between Jesus' baptism and his temptation, um, the proximity there. Jesus begins his ministry, um, and then we're told goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and um, for his fasting, and then that's when the devil comes to do uh, his temptation, um, three main temptations that were given. I think it's important to to recognize that this is is an account that really happened. One, but it's not like Jesus was done tempt, or not like the devil was done tempting Jesus. After well, I tried three times and now I'm done. Right. Um, temp- temptation was something that Jesus faced on a daily basis, and the devil was working hard because he knew that if he could just get Jesus then the whole plan of salvation unravels, and then he's he's won it all. But I think it's a, one of the things that's important about this account, obviously, is the, is the fact that um, we get to see that Jesus really was tempted. He, and I totally agree, this was not it. It's not like Satan just said, all right, I tried and I'm done. No, I mean, he was tempting Jesus throughout that life and ministry. He wanted, not, he wanted Jesus to fail way more than he wants you and I to fail, even. Because Jesus was the only one who could really destroy Satan in his work, um, so it's important that we this account that we get to see Jesus being tempted, and it just really brings to heart and mind what we hear later on in the book of Hebrews, where it says we have one who has um, faced every temptation we have, who who knows all of our weaknesses, who knows all our temptations, and yet was without sin. Um, so you know, it's it's comforting to think that in those moments when I am so overwhelmed with temptation. Or, or, or just you know, feeling so overwhelmed with with my weaknesses, to realize that that God actually knows what I'm going through, 
And not just because he's the creator of all things and knows all things because he's omniscient, but because he experienced the greatest of temptations while walking on this earth too. And uh, so he knows the challenges we're faced with. Yeah. And he conquered them for us. And that's a beautiful thing. It could be easy to have this this idea in your head of this like robot Jesus who um, is impenetrable and couldn't couldn't be touched as if there's like this force field around him. But that's no, we have a savior who took on human flesh and lived the human experience, and that included uh, human emotions and hunger and thirst and the human experience, and it includes real temptation too. Um, he really did have to be strong against. Uh, real temptations and the other cool thing that that comes out in this too um and it's the the temptations themselves are fairly interesting you you could probably read through those um but i just i find it super interesting and important for us too to see how jesus overcame those temptations and it's not like he just yelled at satan a whole bunch not like he actually like punched him in the gut or anything like that um he used one of the greatest tools around that i think is one of the most overlooked tools around but he, he simply used god's word and, and even when Satan tried to twist God's word, which is something we often will try to do too, to, you know, when we're trying to make God's word say what we want it to say so we can feel good about living our life the way we want to live our life. Satan kind of did that too. He kind of twisted God's word a little bit and, and Jesus just set him in his, in his place with the real simple truths of God's word. And um, what a, a beautiful reminder for you and me that when we're tempted by Satan too, what do we do? It's not just, well, I'm going to try harder next time. Or I'm really going to just put my foot down and not sin. No, it's it's going back to God's word and finding our strength and encouragement and peace and comfort and hope in those words. Those are the only things that can overcome Satan and his temptations. Yeah. there There's a lesson here in, in I suppose, Bible application um, or how do we read God's word. Just because something is a passage from the Bible, if it's taken out of context uh, or if you take it, if you use a passage as a, as your excuse to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say, uh, well, now you, you don't have God's word at that point. Um, so the devil quoted a passage right. from the Psalms, but he took it out of context and he tried to twist it to say something that the Bible doesn't say. That word didn't doesn't have the power, uh, even though it's, it's from the Psalms, um, because he hollowed it of its power when he tried to use it to do something that disproved God instead of reinforcing his truth. So when we apply God's word, we need more than just a, a passage. Here's a passage. Well, if it's taken out of context and if we're using it to say the opposite of of what it means, um, we don't have God's word anymore. I watched a uh, History Channel special once because um, I was just intrigued as to what, what in the world are they going to say about this. And it was um, uncracking or cracking secret codes that you oh, can sure. find hidden in Scripture. And yeah. it was um, like if you if you take the letters uh, like vertically instead of horizontally across the page, you can find these these prophecies. Sure. Um, I I was I was sharing this with a professor once at, at seminary, and he said. Uh, I suppose if you take the letters out of order, you can make God's word say whatever you want it to say, right? Like, oh, yeah, I suppose there's an A and there's a B and there's a... <laughs> right. And all I have to do is look at the word I made. Well, clearly that's not what God's word intends to do, nor do we have any promises that you can um, you can find secret hidden messages. You know, God gives us his word and it's clear and simple to understand it. We need to let scripture interpret scripture. Yeah, I know. I absolutely agree. And... uh 
you know, I think when we start going down that route of, well, there's got to be more to the story or something hidden, we're just not simply looking at the truths. Or, or I think sometimes our human minds think that there's got to be more because it's almost too simple. And I think that that's sometimes the, I don't want to say the problem of the gospel, but um, the reality of the gospel is that it is that simple. You know, Christ lived and died for me, and through faith I am saved. There's nothing else. But yep. yeah, we want to find those hidden things, and um, but we don't have to. Jesus simply used the 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 reality of, and truth of God's word, and and we can too. It's just as good. Isn't that cool though? I just think uh, uh, it reminds me of the passage from first uh, or from Romans chapter one, um, which talks about how the gospel is the power of of God. Uh, for the salvation of all who believe. And man, just, we have, you know, you think about all the powerful things in the world, you know, a powerful storm like a hurricane that can just devastate things or the power of, of water, right, that can just carve out canyons and things like that or the, a nuclear bomb that can destroy and level cities. And yet we have the gospel that is far more powerful than any of, of those things too. And I don't think we really comprehend just how powerful God's mighty word is truly is. And maybe if we did, we'd, we'd respect it and honor it and love it maybe a little bit more. It's good encouragement for me to respect and love and honor it a little bit more today too. There you go. That's what we're all here trying to do, right? Absolutely. <laughs> trying to grow, trying to tap into that power source and um, gain that encouraging power that, that Christ Jesus wants for us to have. So after his temptation, he then goes out and, and actually begins his preaching ministry um, and he goes to to the Sea of Galilee, so the, the northern part of Israel, the, the land of Galilee. And um, was there anything anything significant about Jesus going to that part? You know, I would have, I guess, pegged Jesus as going like, I thought he'd start out in Jerusalem or somewhere like that, but he starts in Galilee. Any significance to that that you're aware of? There is, well, the, the reference to the, the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy, um, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, those are, are places up in Galilee, which would be, if you've seen the uh, the map of the Holy Land, you probably have seen it divided into three three segments. Galilee is up in the north, and Samaria is in the middle, um, and Judea down where Jerusalem is, and the and the Dead Sea. Um, so the Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles. So that's this this region that's that's up further north. Um, and then to have this prophecy from um, from Isaiah that tells us that Jesus is going to come from that place and he's going to have some connection to not just Bethlehem and not just um, Jerusalem, but he's going to have a connection to that region, that part, and there's going to be light in what was otherwise a dark place. Yeah. Another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled, which is, is is so cool, and that's why I love the book of Matthew, and, and I think to the early Jewish readers who are hearing this for the first time, like, oh, another proof that Jesus is the one that God promised to send. Here's, right. right here in your Old Testament scriptures that you know so well. So Here's, yeah. here's another connection. And then it's interesting at the end of this section, um, the message uh, very simply is recorded for us what Jesus began to preach, and it's it sounds very familiar to what we heard in chapter 3 with John the Baptist preaching. Um, and Jesus' preaching was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, so, I mean, uh, the simple message of, of God's word is repent for the kingdom of heaven is is near. Turn away from your sin and and find your life and salvation in Christ, the Savior. Yeah. It's probably a good summary of, of that message. Sure. And we just talked about the power of God's word. 
it's God's, it's the power of God's word and the power of God's love that, that, uh, empowers us to be able to repent. Repentance isn't even something that we can do on our own. This isn't uh, right. Hey, you figure out, do you want Jesus? Then you better repent. Um, but rather God's spirit works in our hearts and makes repentance that fruit of faith. God empowers us to even be able to, um, to make this step to be able to repent of our sins and, um, it's really a God worked repentance that he calls calls on us to do and and promises to help us um, carry out in our lives. Absolutely. There's probably a lot more to that message in that sermon than than just that phrase, right? Um, just like in our own preaching, we wrap that message up in in the applications and more of scripture and things like that. Um, but you we're getting a real good sense of what the message of the gospel truly is. Um, it's turning to Jesus. An interesting account then of Jesus calling the first disciples is um, what comes next here in the middle of chapter 4. Um, this is one of those places where you, if you compare uh, what you read in some of the other gospel accounts, you sort of get a little bit of a picture. And, um, with Peter and Andrew and James and John, um, Peter and Andrew especially, you get um, what seems to be either their contradictory messages, which we know is not true, uh, the truth is that really they they're called by Jesus twice, um, and and the first calling would be like a I'm here a call to faith, believe in me. And then you have the one that you have here, uh, where they're out fishing and and Jesus says, "Come and follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people." I liked NIV eighty four better, fishers of men, yeah. um, but we say people now instead of men, so you lose the fishermen, fishers of men. Um, and at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. So here you have uh, what I would categorize as a call into ministry. Right. Jesus is calling them to follow him, not as like a believer follows Jesus and lives for Jesus. That he's done already. But this would be a call to to be in his service, a call to be a disciple. And I think that makes sense for us then in their response. That Jesus isn't some stranger to them and... And they're like moved by this magical force that, yeah, I'll give up everything. And I'll, I, it would probably be a wise decision to follow this guy. Um, no, they recognize Jesus and they've already been called to faith. They, they've uh, been given the faith to believe that he is the Messiah, the sa- their savior from sin. And now when their savior from sin comes and says, I want you to serve me, I want you to be my disciple, I want you to come and and help me carry out my purposes, um, now we can see why. It's an, an expression of the faith that's already in their hearts, right. um, that they respond in the way that they do. It is still fairly remarkable that they would just drop everything too. At, at Jesus' word to, to still go follow him, even though they did know him. Yes. And and obviously they, they did and had some, some familiarity with Jesus already and heard his preaching and, and already were looking for him because these were initially disciples of John, right? So they were already listening to him preach in the wilderness and, and listening to his message of repenting and the one is coming and then he pointed and said, look, the Lamb of God, and they started following Jesus now. So they're familiar with him, but still regardless, this, this immediacy that they have where like they just left dad sitting in the boat the nets are still not clean and they took off to follow (laughs) Jesus and to be fishers of men is a a remarkable thing. And the the power of Christ working in in our hearts too. Yeah. It definitely is an expression of faith to say, I'm going to leave my livelihood behind and my um, comfort behind and my 
time to spend with family behind um, because I trust that um, your promises, Jesus, and I trust that you're going to provide for me in, in a way that's beyond what I can even understand will happen now. Um, yes, this for sure is is a working of the power of the Spirit. Another cool thing that I, I love about this account too is, is so this is a, these are just four of the men who would be part of the twelve disciples, right? Um, but all four of these men had the the same field of work and line of work in in common that was being fishermen, and uh, and maybe I shouldn't speak too much about fishermen, but fisher you know, this, people, fisher people. Sorry, <laughs> uh, no, they are fishermen. Um, one of the unique things, or you know, special things, is, is these were like the blue collar workers of of Israel, of Galilee. Um, they worked hard. They, you know, f- I've been fishing before. It's not a glamorous job. It's fun when you catch fish, but if it's my livelihood, it's messy. It can be smelly. It's hard, rough, you know, work that makes your body ache and everything else too. So, I mean, th- my my point in, in saying this is is these are the guys that Jesus chose to follow him. To, to learn ministry, to learn the gospel, to learn who Jesus was so that they could then be his witnesses to the world, his primary witnesses to the world. And you might be thinking, well, if I were to pick primary witnesses to the world, I would probably go and find like the best educated and the, the richest and the most influential and whatever else. Maybe Jesus should have gone to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and picked out some of the good ones that he could turn hearts with or maybe he should have gone to uh some of the the leaders of a, that you would find in jerusalem but no jesus took yeah where's the debate club or right. the or the orator school yeah those are the guys that i should be getting on on but, my team to be jesus, my ambassadors right? right but jesus took fishermen and it's just a i think a beautiful picture that god can use anyone he can use he can use you and me um i'm not gonna you know i wasn't necessarily a the the best speaker in the world probably still not right, but you know God uses us. <laughs> You're probably not the best speaker in the world. Probably that, not. That's so humble of you, Pastor Strong. <laughs> well, like, like not even to be considered in that realm, right? I know what um, you mean. I'm giving you grief. No, no, it's all right. Humble me even more. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> but the, you know, just this idea that that God can use any of us, and 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 it's not about us as who we are and the people that we are. Um, but it's it's the message that God allows us to proclaim and to share and to to witness through God's word and to walk with Jesus each day in His word. Um, God can use us. So if you're sitting there thinking, "Man, I could never be a disciple of Jesus, or I could never be His witness to the world," um, no, follow Jesus and and let Him work through you um, and the people that that He sets before you each day. Yeah, maybe there's some of you out there that are pondering public ministry. And have some doubts about whether or not you've got the gifts or or whether or not God could use a person that's like you or has your weaknesses. Um, I, I think these words can be an encouragement that you know, God will equip those that he calls. God, um, God can use all sorts of people and all sorts of stripes. Absolutely. I, I think there's something just to remember in which gospel we're looking at here. Why, why does this particular author have an interest in um, God calling maybe an unlikely or a, or a unique set of people to, to be his followers? It's coming up in a few chapters where Matthew himself receives his call from to service from the Lord. Uh, Matthew as a tax collector, as uh, someone who would definitely be in the category of outcast and unlikely and... Um, unlikely to be befriended by Jesus in any way, um, 
and super unlikely to be one that's called to go and and be an ambassador and to proclaim. Right. But so Matthew's going to be in the same boat, no pun intended, with <laughs> Peter and Andrew, James and John. Um, so we can see maybe maybe a little bit of his personality or a little bit of his background coming through here as he as he gives us this account of here's why the the miraculous part of this is Jesus calling and who he chooses and how he can through the power of his word um, accomplish his purposes through through anyone absolutely and after he calls them then he goes out and through his ministry is what we have at the end of chapter four here and um i think it, it can be summed up as jesus went throughout galilee um he went to the synagogue the synagogues which is like the, the their churches right well the the place where they would gather to hear god's word and i think his whole ministry could be characterized in, in three aspects he he taught um he preached and he healed and those are really the three things that we see Jesus continuing to do throughout his ministry. Um, as he proclaimed the good news, he healed, and he continued to teach people uh, the truths of God's kingdom. There's a cool geography lesson in this little paragraph here, as you see. So Jesus is up in the north, and he's hanging out in Galilee. But you start to see a sphere of influence and and, and where it is that that the message of at least Jesus' presence is is being spread into Syria, um, large crowds from Galilee. The Decapolis is that region of ten cities to the east of the Jordan River. Um, Jerusalem and Judea down in the south. The region across the Jordan, um, I think, is referring to what we'd call Perea, which would be east of the Jordan River, but like straight over, straight to the east from Samaria. So the circle of people knowing that Jesus is here, the, the, the impact of John the Baptist foretelling and now Jesus being on the scene and, and preaching and, and teaching and doing these miracles. Um, it's starting to grow and, and the gospel is starting to be spread and the plan is, is, uh, rolling into motion which is pretty fascinating to think about too because they didn't have the advantages of technology and social media and you know information being able to share very quickly but but still this message must have been a pretty important powerful one um, to not just change hearts and lives but to be shared so quickly with people and to be spreading out like you just shared there too is is pretty neat yeah you don't you can't put it out on Twitter, but you can put a prophet out in the wilderness that people are going to talk about. And did you hear about this guy? Did you see what he did? He, did you hear his message? This is what he's saying. You should come see him. Um, and then we we know from this and other accounts that Jesus has the same impact. People start. Uh, I mean, word spreads ahead of the town that he's heading toward. He's walking towards the town, and uh, things are are. Uh, the message is, is goes ahead of him. Jesus is coming. Get ready. Come out to the street. Come see him. Um, and these crowds start beating him to the town. And, right. and uh, mobs sometimes even. Um, this is different. Different than what they're used to seeing. John the Baptist was different than what they were used to seeing. Um, having a miracle worker here. Having someone who maybe just maybe might be the one who's been talked about. Yeah. Um, this is an intriguing thing for a lot of people, and God uses that interest 
to draw more and more and more people into contact with the gospel. Yeah, and, it, and you kind of hit on it, I think, is, is just the fact that he was doing these miracles, the healing of those who are demon-possessed and those who are sick and, um, and ill and whatever else, the paralyzed, they're all being healed. And this is what Jesus was doing, but he wasn't just doing it. Yes, he was doing it because he's compassionate and has a love for his people, but he was doing these things so that then he could also proclaim and preach the gospel, the good news of what he did. So, you know, they always go hand in hand. You always... I don't think you see a single time where Jesus just healed and, and didn't actually take time to, to share the good news. No, they, they went hand in hand. And important for us, too, as I think about ministry, too, we want to show compassion and love to um, our communities and our people and those around us. But at the same time, we don't want to miss the opportunities to share the gospel as to why we, one, care for their physical needs because we care about your spiritual needs even greater. And that's what Jesus is showing here um, through his ministry. Yeah, for sure. Jesus shows compassion by displaying his power, uh, but then he sees power in a different way too as he speaks the word of God. Um, I think that's a pretty good summary of of Matthew chapter 4 as, as I reflect a little bit on what we've read and what we've talked about. God's word is powerful, right? Powerful to resist temptation, powerful to... Um, fulfill prophecy, powerful to cause repentance, powerful to call people into his service, powerful to um, change hearts and lives. God's word is powerful, and it's also most certainly certainly true. Thanks for joining us in our effort to read and grow through the Gospel of Matthew. We'd love to share more Jesus with you. Learn more about Grace at our website, www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, Bible study resources, links to our digital media resources, our pastor's contact info, and a lot more about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.